it's a pleasure to be here today and uh, looking forward to the message. But first of all, I want to recognize an old Bellevue member, Barb Hamilton. Stand up, Barb. <laughs> and uh, Bill and Margaret Simpson. Did I say that right? No. Good enough. Simpkins. Okay. Uh, they're here today. They're good friends of uh, Barb and Joe Hamilton. And uh, But today we have Brother Bill Bolt from Richmond. Um, he'll tell us a little bit more about his ministry, I'm sure. But uh, So it's a pleasure to have you come today and, and share God's Word with us. So come on up. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it. Uh, mic check. Am I on? Everybody can hear me? I hope so. There you go. All right. <laughs> it works. In case you're all wondering why I brought this up with me, it's uh, my protection. <clears throat> Nobody can call me a dry preacher. All right. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture today that is very uh, dear to my heart, and I hope and pray that at the end of the service it will be very dear to your heart as well, if not already. <clears throat> uh, there is a PowerPoint I was able to be loaded up. It's um, speaking to you today about loving Christ. Um, 42 years of ministry. I just retired recently last year. Um, and the depth of love that God has for me is still being searched for. I don't understand some of the things that he has loved me through and how he has loved me for all these many years since I was 20 years old. Becoming a believer is just an amazing thing to know that God's love is so deep and so real and so rich and so uh, eternal in every way. So I thank him for his love and I hope and pray that at the end of the message today that you understand how much he has loved you and that that love will create in your heart a response back to him. That's the message today is about responding back to the love of God. We don't have to know the power, the, all the depth of it, 100%. We just know that we are loved by Him in a tremendous way. And that's what changes people's lives, is understanding the power of His love. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 36, if you will stand with me as we read God's Word. I do use the NASB edition of the Word, have for all the years of my ministry, and it reads as follows. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with a the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he generously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him the most? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who are reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, love these words. Powerful words, Father, the love of Christ. And powerful words, Father, how when love penetrates the heart, it creates courageous love towards you. Father, I pray this morning that as we seek in all of our churches all across this land, Father, revival will take place. Father, it begins at the feet of Jesus. It begins, Father, when we understand and know that we have been forgiven and we've been set free from the bondages of our sins. We know that the power of your love, Father, reigns in our lives. Lord, I pray this morning that we will revisit our time of salvation, revisit, Father, our depth of love and ask ourselves the question, how much do I love Jesus? Father, bless each one who hears this morning. And if there be one here, Father, who does not know your love, who has not received you and trusted you and surrendered their heart and life to you, that today would be a day of decision for them, a day when they decide, I want that love and I want that forgiveness. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just permeate this place through the power of your word. Hide this one, Father, behind the cross that only Jesus can be seen and heard. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Anyone who reads the scripture as a believer in Christ, as a walk in with follow with the Lord, you can't help but sense something happening here that is powerful, that is real, that is rich, and that is experiential in so many different ways. <clears throat> How many of you were around in 1970, 71, 72, 73? Quite a few of you, okay. Um, I don't know if you remember what happened back then, but just recently I went and saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen that film yet? It's uh, breaking all box top records. It's a true story about what happened back in California in 70, 71, 72 and so forth, where a fellow by the name of Chuck Smith, who was pastoring Calvary Chapel Church. And he had some of these, as we call them back then, hippies that showed up at his church. And through a whole series of events, which I don't have time to describe, they began to attend his church and he began to be challenged. His church was challenged by these people coming in. They were seeking something. They were on drugs and long hair and needed a bath, but they were seeking something. They were looking for some kind of truth, some kind of hope, some kind of redemption. And they came to his church and he was challenged. And the rest of the folks at the church said, who are these folks coming in? And over a long course of events, and I won't spoil the movie for you, but you need to go see it. He began to minister to these hippies, these drug addicts, these people with long hair and no shoes. And at one occasion, the church members complained because they were getting the carpet dirty. They didn't wear any shoes. 
So Chuck Smith, the next service, set up and he washed all of their feet as they came into the service. He lost several of his church members, but that began the greatest awakening and revival in this country in a long, long time in 1970. Thousands of people came to Christ. And out of that came one individual came Greg Laurie. He's in California. He's a lead on Harvest Ministries. He came out of that revival. He runs Harvest Ministries in California, Calvary Chapel. He has started over 1,200 churches since that revival. It came when a group of people that nobody wanted to associate with, nobody wanted to connect with, it came at a time when they needed to find somebody who would give them the truth. I see that same thing happening at the revival at Asbury in different parts of our country right now. People, young people, searching for truth, searching for hope searching for something outside of maybe some of our traditional things that we do in our church and just trying to find, is Jesus real? Is he real? Today's message is about the real Jesus loving a lady who was not so lovable, who was not so popular in those days. You see, courageous love leads to courageous acts of worship. And when I was, I went to Asbury down there a week, two weeks ago, Saturday, there was 10,000 people there. We couldn't get anywhere near the place, the door. Lined up all over the streets and it was 35 degrees and my wife decided she didn't want to stand outside that long. Nine hour wait to get in. But then she made a comment. She said, the same Holy Spirit that's in that building and in those people is right here in us. And so we hadn't had a little revival in ourselves and thinking, that's so right. And the Holy Spirit is here today wanting, desiring, and praying. Can I get into your heart? Can you give me your all? Can you trust me? Will you worship me creatively? You see, the Holy Spirit that resides in you is God himself. If you believe the Trinity, and I hope you do, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see, God's our creator, Jesus is our redeemer. Holy Spirit is the sealer of our soul. We need him. He is God. He is within us. We need to listen to him. This woman today, she had the Holy Spirit. She listened to what God was saying to her. And she acted very courageously in what she did. Because Jesus said in John 4, 23, he said, The hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I fear that there are many situations in our churches where we try to manufacture worship. We try to manufacture things that are not really there and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to truly bless us. Last Sunday, I was in a church in Georgetown where a revival broke out three weeks ago. The pastor said, he's a friend of mine, he said, I, I just get out of the way. People testifying, people coming to the altar, people repenting, people coming to Jesus. He said, I don't know what happened. The Holy Spirit just showed up and he's working in our church. I hope today that they're having another extension of that. But this is what's happening all through our communities, all through our country in many places, over the college campuses. Revival is starting to break out. I pray, I pray it's real. I pray it's genuine. I pray people are really searching and I pray the Holy Spirit is working in these people's lives. Because here's what's happening in this in this position today in the scripture. If you'll turn back to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus attends the synagogue for the first time. 
And he picks up the scroll and he's offered the scroll and he begins to read. And of course, God is providential in everything that he does. So he begins to read. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, Jesus reads the scripture from Isaiah. And this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That passage that he read is what he practiced. Jesus intentionally reached out to the people who were unwanted by all the rest of the culture, all the rest of society, and he intentionally went after those folks. Those are the people that needed him the most. Those are the folks that needed... This woman in, in today's passage, nobody needed to tell her she was a sinner. She knew that. She, had, she was an immoral person. She was a prostitute. She went about trying to find love in all the wrong places and was never, ever satisfied until Jesus showed up one day. And I believe in this passage of Scripture, she's already had an encounter with Christ. She's already experienced some time with him. And now she has sought him out. She heard that he was going to be at the Pharisees' place. And she went there with her alabaster of perfume. And she is going to worship him. This is what's so extraordinary about this passage. She goes where she's not wanted. She does what's never expected. And she breaks all traditions to get to the feet of Jesus because she loves him so much. Jesus is doing exactly what he's intended to do. You see, a woman called a sinner did what the religious leaders would not do. And here's several things that she would not do, or that the leaders would not do. Because she loved Jesus so much, she was not ashamed to come to Jesus in a public crowd. It didn't bother her a bit. She kept her eyes so focused on Jesus, I don't even think she noticed the crowd. I don't even think she paid attention that it was a Pharisee's house. I don't even think she paid attention that everybody was looking at her with scornful eyes. Everybody knew she was a sinner. And I can't help but believe that some of those Pharisees knew her better than they should have. They recognized who she was, but she was not ashamed to come to Jesus in the public. Now, how many times have we had opportunity to speak for Christ in restaurants and different places we go, and, but we're ashamed because we're in public. Oh, don't do that. We're in public. Well, we don't pray here. We don't talk about Jesus here. Jesus, did, this didn't bother this woman. She was going into a public place and she wasn't worried about what anybody else thought. She was going to get to the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she had an experience with him. She felt the peace of God. She felt the joy of the Lord. She felt the release of her captivity. She felt the release of her sins. And she was going to worship this man. She wanted to get to the feet of Jesus. And she was not ashamed to publicly worship Jesus. I know we're Baptists and we're all hung up on these traditions, but uh, y'all raise your hand just a moment. Can you raise your hand? Uh, you did that because I asked you to. How many times does God ask you to raise your hands in worship? And you say, oh gosh, I, I, boy, I better not do that. They'll think I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> you see, we, we Baptists, we got a great grip on God the Father and God the Son, but we sent the Holy Spirit down to the Pentecostal church and said, you go down there. We're afraid to let the Holy Spirit work in us because we're afraid he might do something drastic like kneel at the feet of Jesus and pour perfume on his feet. Sometimes we ought to be ashamed of ourselves, folks. 
because we're so ashamed to publicly announce who Jesus is. And she was not ashamed to surrender her all to Jesus publicly. Yes, she gave it her all. And I'll share with it a little bit later on what that all was. But that's what she did. If you just flip a few verses ahead, in fact, one ch chapter 9 of Luke in verse 32. I'm sorry, 23, Luke 9, 23. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus makes a distinction about who follows him and some of the characteristics of who we ought to be. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What do you do with the harsh words of Jesus? Those are harsh words. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. I mean, i got to die on the cross? That's not what he was indicating. The cross is a sign of obedience. Jesus went to the cross in obedience to God's will that he sent him for. The sign of take up our, taking up our cross means that we are going to obey him. We're going to follow what he says to us. We're going to deny ourselves. You see, when you come to Jesus, one of the things people don't understand is that you no longer own yourself. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. You are his. With him to do as he sees fit. And God will do some things that you never dreamed you could do. Folks, when I, when I grew up, I was bashful. I was tongue-tied. I was shy. I wouldn't say anything to anyone. I was afraid to say pasta potatoes at the table. And lo and behold, look what I do now. Whew. God does things in our life because we don't belong to ours. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We, he owns us. We belong to him. He owned this woman and this woman surrendered her life to him. Denied herself. Denied her reputation. Denied all the things that she was usually normally with. But all the things that she did. She denied all those things. She gave all those things up. And she publicly worshipped. Act number one. She came to Jesus. Luke 7, 23. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I can't tell you that I've never offended Jesus. I have. There was times when I knew I should have spoke up and I did not. And I beg for God's forgiveness. Missed opportunities to share Christ with people. Missed opportunities because I was ashamed. I used all kinds of excuses. Well, I don't know enough and it's not the right place, not the right time. Uh, I'll just say a prayer for them and then I'll leave. No. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. We live in a culture that is so worried about offending people. We're changing names. What are the Cleveland Indians called now? I don't know. So that was offensive. I was with my grandchildren and I sat down around in a circle on the floor and I sat Indian style and I said, I'll just sit Indian style. Grandpa, you can't say that. I said, what did I say? Indian. You profiled Indians by sitting with your legs crossed. I've been to Wounded Knee a bunch of times in Indians and they never were offended when I sat amongst them with crossed knee legs. We, we get so animated with this. You can't say this. Can't say it. Folks, if we're never wanting to be offended, we'll never be corrected. Jesus offends people. 
He offends them with the truth. Because if you're living a lie and he doesn't tell you the truth, you go straight to hell without knowing the truth. We tell the truth. And if it offends you, I'm sorry. But you're living wrong. You, you all got children? Many got children? Did you discipline them? And did they say, Mom, Dad, you're offending me? Well, you just take that little hot seat of yours and sit it right down and I'll offend you some more. We gotta be careful about this culture that's telling us don't say anything that offends them. But in 1 John 4, 18, it says, perfect love casts out fear. And this woman, she had the love of Christ. And she did not go in fear. She went in faith and believing. You see, 1 Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. God never instills fear in us to follow him, to trust him. This woman had encountered Christ. She had believed him. She had been forgiven by him. And she was excited. She says, I don't care where he is. I don't care what setting he's in. I am going to go and worship him. So act two says she humbled herself. She humbled herself and she went into the presence of these Pharisees. Now, let me just illustrate this just a little bit more defined. In the Pharisees' dwellings, they were the high and pious people and they were the rulers. They were the kind of ones that governed everybody else with their laws and traditions and all that kind of stuff. And so they were proud of who they were. So in their homes, many times they would have around the perimeter of their home, they would have a place where people could come and observe them while they ate their meals and while they showed off all their piety. And that was a situation where people were watching around and they'd, they'd know that there was a Pharisee going to invite a meal in, invite somebody to a meal, and they were going to sit around and watch what happens. I can't think of anything more boring than watching a bunch of Pharisees eat and show off their piety. This woman came in, that barrier did not stop her. In fact, Jesus says when she brought her vial of perfume and standing behind, he went right from the word of God says right from that alabaster box of perfume right to the feet of Jesus. She ran right through that crowd. She found Jesus. She knew who he was. She recognized him. She saw him. She went right to him. She humbled herself because she was putting all of her reputation on the line. She humbled herself and she said, I've got to get to Jesus. I've got something I need to do. I want to continue to show him my love and I want to pour out my love to him. And so she humbles herself. And when we do that, then at the end of the story, we see how she is exalted and Simon the Pharisee is humbled. I urge you, put yourself in the position of the woman, not the Pharisee. Don't be like the Pharisees. Because Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see, we don't own ourselves. We present ourselves to him. Lord, what would you have me to do today? Lord, I'm yours. Do with me as you wish. I learned that a long time ago. You see, I was one of those guys uh, back, I've, I'm from Michigan. Y'all don't have anything against Yankees, do you? I hope not. I lived in South Carolina for a while. Boy, they didn't like Yankees at all. But I'm, I, had a, I was a dairy operator. I operated a 180 cow dairy operation on 600 acres. I love my farm. 
God called me to ministry. I said, no way. I'll do everything you want me in the church, but I'm not leaving my farm. And for six years, I ran away from God. And I did not present myself to him as he wanted to use me. And in 1981, I found myself in the hospital. My wife was a nurse aide. I was sick. I was almost dying. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Now, God's got a sense of humor in this. This is not something that, you know, yeah, it's terrible, but it, it's a good thing. But in 1981, the doctor came in and I was almost, they were feeding me half and half and Maalox. They said, you got an ulcer that's killing you. Really? I was dying. I told Diane, just pull the cover over my head and let me go. I was miserable. The young doctor came in and says, I know what's wrong with you. I said, really? You're just out of school. You know what's wrong with me? He said, you got an allergy to milk. I said, you're out of your mind. I milk cows. I ship 10,000 pounds of milk a day. I eat ice cream. I make ice cream. They took the half and half of Malox away at 8 o'clock in the morning, brought me a full meal. Folks, at noon, I walked out of that hospital. Completely healed. To this day, I have an allergy to milk. My wife carries an EpiPen. I go into anaphylactic shock if I get a touch of milk. And I've lived with that thorn in the flesh all these years, 42 years of ministry. God says, present your body to me. You see, you're never out of the love of God. But it is a most miserable position when you are out of the will of God. Running from God is not fun. He will have his way. This woman... She gave herself, she presented her body to him, holy, which was her spiritual worship. She gave all because her reputation as a prostitute. And even if you don't study Jewish culture much, a Jewish woman let down her hair? Oh, that's terrible. She's immoral. She's got her, her hair's long and it's down. They kept their heads covered. They kept their hair done up in a bun or pigtails or whatever they did. But it's always covered. You never let down your hair in public. She didn't care. She didn't have a towel. She needed to wipe Jesus' feet. My hair. My hair will do it. And she did. So we come to Act 3. Act 3 says she worshipped with no cost that was too high. Y'all know what an alabaster box is? It's a... Stone that's found in Egypt, it's a soft marble type stone. And on an alabaster box, we made out of the stone is soft, carvable. And so we make boxes with lids on them and things. And when you put something in it and close it down, the nature of the stone was such that it would contain all of the smell or whatever the ingredient was in there and no air could penetrate through that. So you had an alabaster box that was full of perfume, rich, high quality perfume. This was stuff that was very powerful. And as soon as that lid comes off, I mean, the aroma just went out. But it was costly. This was possibly a year's wages. I don't know what they made back then as prostitutes, but it was very expensive and she was collecting it. It, it was a symbolic of all of who she was. Or if you don't realize or not, it's great to have an alabaster box and it's great to have perfume. She used it as a device in her profession. 
She would entice them in as the Proverbs explains that my bed is anointed with the ointment. Please come lie with me. She used it as a tool in her profession. And she was literally giving that up. Not on the head of Jesus, but on the feet of Jesus, indicating her humility. She worshiped. The cost was didn't matter. I don't care how much it cost. I'm going to give him my all. In Matthew 16, 24, anyone who wishes to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Again, Matthew and Luke say the same thing. And Mark, we deny ourselves. We deny everything we existed of. Folks, when I left that farm in 1981, I gave up a quarter of a million dollars in farming operation. Today, that farm is worth about $6 million. It's just money. I don't know about you, but I don't put a, I don't put a lot of status in money. God supplies my every need. He always has, and he always will. She gave herself up at was no cost too high. You see, there's several things you need to understand. First of all, anybody can come to Jesus. Anybody can come to Jesus, okay? Anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. But anybody can come. And when you need Jesus, you don't let anything get in your way. And on every one of our hearts, we know we need him. She needed him. She needed that forgiveness. She needed that love that he offered. And she gave up her all to find that. And when we come to Jesus, we're admitting all of our faults. We're admitting all the sins that's in our lives. Christine, I want you to notice something in halfway through this scripture. Simon, when he said in verse 39 that this woman was a sinner, he didn't say that. He didn't speak it with words. He thought it in his mind. And Jesus, being the God who he is, he knew exactly what he was thinking. So if you think you try to hide your thoughts from God, give it up, folks. It doesn't happen. You think it, he knows it. He knows everything you're thinking, everything you're thinking right now. He knows some of you are worried about your roast beef burning right now. And so stop thinking about it, okay? He knows what's in your heart. And so he wants your heart to be focused on him and in him alone. She experienced that and Jesus read his mind and simply laid out this parable. You see, Jesus is the creditor here. Simon is the one who owes 50 denarii. The woman is the one who owns 500 denarii. A denarii was a day's wages. So compared to 50 days wages of the Pharisee, this lady's wages was 500 days over years worth of salary. But he graciously, the creditor graciously forgave them. And this is a story that flips back on to Simon. Because Simon thought he was the upper echelon here. He was the superior person. And Simon looked at this woman and only had one thought in his mind. She's a sinner. And notice what he said, that he was even touching him. A Pharisee would never even touch anyone associated with sin. Now, can you imagine being that? As a minister, that if you got sin, I can't touch you. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm a hugger. I, I hug, I shake hands, I do whatever. I don't worry about I don't. Your sin doesn't stop me from showing affection, from showing God's love. The Pharisee would, so religious and so pious, wouldn't even touch her. He said, Jesus, if he was a prophet, he wouldn't even touch this woman. 
which would be a violation of Luke chapter 4, 18, where Jesus had come to set the captives free. So he touched this woman. He allowed this woman to touch him. And here we see an experience of God's grace. Let me read to you something that I wrote. How could God love a woman like me? Said the woman, the sinner, she asked. His answer, how could I not love a woman like you? You have honored me by trusting me as your covering. You have honored me by pouring out your pain to me for healing. You have honored me in a way that others never have. Have you ever felt unwanted, discarded, forgotten by God? You want, <clears throat> I want to tell you that he loves you. Regardless of what's going on in your life, he is able to forgive you, to set you free. He's able to give you peace and joy and harmony in your life. And he's able to give you eternal life. And he gives you forgiveness. He accepts you. You see, the Pharisee looked at her and he judged her by what she did, by what she was committing and by her sins. Jesus looked at her and did not condemn her, but understood of what she could be. A forgiven saint of his. A woman who is entitled to eternal life upon her forgiveness or asking for forgiveness and repentance. She repented of her sins. You see, the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he came out of the wilderness before he started his ministry, his first words was, repent. We've got to repent of our sins. Repent of all known sins and all the sins we don't know about. Ask God to repent. We must repent of those sins. By grace alone we are saved when we repent of our sins. She repented of those sins. Jesus stands between himself, or between us and those whom judge us. And this is what happened in the Jesus Revolution back in the 70s, that Chuck Smith looked at these kids and said, there's got to be something here. There's got to be something that God wants me to know. There's got to be something that God wants me to tell these kids. And he did, and he told them, God loves you. God cares for you. And by the thousands, they were receiving Christ and being baptized in the Pacific Ocean and various other places. You see, he saw them not for who they were, but for what they could be in him. And so he, by grace alone, he gives them. She gave, he gave her the grace. You see, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And people forget, that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But we forget Ephesians 10, which says after 2, 8, and 9, after salvation takes place, Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. God doesn't save us just to take us to heaven, give us a free ticket into heaven. God saves us to do the good works we were designed to do in the beginning in the origination of our creation of who we are. That's what we do. Now, let me just give you a, a, an illustration. We talk about eternal life. Now, just think about this. You don't need to speak of it. Think about this. To you, what does it mean to have eternal life? Most people will tell you, I get to have a place in heaven with Jesus. And that's part of it. You see, eternal life cannot be defined by time or years or centuries because eternal is timeless. 
God created time and then sent his son to live within our time frame. But God is eternal. He's past, present and future all at the same time. So Jesus in John 17, 3, he describes eternal life. And he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's praying to God now in John 17, that they may know you and the one whom you have sent. Period. That describes eternal life. Eternal life is knowing Jesus as our Lord. Knowing who he is, what he's done, and the impact he has upon our lives. Eternal life is not quantitative, it's quality. It's a quality of life that we live through the person of Jesus Christ. Every day of our born-again life. That's what eternity is. That's what eternal life is, is to live in the presence and in the existence of God and who he is. Concerned about our everyday affairs. When we sin and fall down, we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This woman was beginning a new life that was going to be a quality of life that she had never experienced before. Her sins, which were many. Turning this back, flip-flopping it back against Simon. The Pharisee, he was the sinner. She was too. We all are. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. He did not see himself as a sinner. But Jesus flipped it back on him and said, Simon, you don't love me very much. You don't love me like this woman does. You don't love me and do the things that she's doing and step out of your character. You're not loving me like she is. And so with a short, quick parable, he puts Simon in his place. And Simon, I'm sure, is embarrassed. You notice how he responds when Jesus said, who will love him more? Simon says, well, I suppose the one who forgave more. I can hear his, his apathy in his voice. Well, I suppose. He was putting on the butcher block. Jesus was putting him in his place. Simon, the very people that I've come to save, which you too should be concerned about, is wanting to save you. As I have saved this woman. And Jesus finalizes this in the forgiveness by experience, by grace alone. For this reason, I say to you, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Your faith has saved you. Now, there's a lot that could be said about the word faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, that's Hebrews eleven six. By faith, we live our lives. Faith doesn't mean we have to see or understand everything. Faith says, I trust the promises that you've given me. I trust what you have said, Lord. That's why this book is so important. It is our lifeline of our faith. Read it. Live it. You see, the Word of God isn't just to be read. It's to be acted out. Joseph Stoll in his book called Loving Christ says, Our love for Christ is revealed in the trenches of life not in the pew or the pulpit. Well, we gather together and we have a great time. We celebrate one another and we hug and love on one another, which is all great and wonderful. But what happens when we go out Monday morning to our work, to our jobs, to our places that we visit? What happens to our faith then? Are we experiencing that? Are we protruding that faith out of us into other folks? Are we telling people we love them? Are we telling people that Jesus loves them? Are we handing people a card for our church that our church loves Jesus? We want you to come and love Jesus with us. And are we telling them we accept all people? Everybody's welcome at our church. Is that really true?
I don't know about you. I don't know your church. I just know that in my 42 years of ministry, I have experienced churches that will not accept all people. I raised a bunch of kids at a children's home in South Carolina. Black children, Asian children, white children. Took them to church. And in South Carolina, we were physically removed from four churches because we had black kids. Physically removed and asked to leave. We don't allow those kind in our church. Wow. Folks, as far as I'm concerned, there is only one race on the face of the earth, and it's a human race. Every soul is precious to God. All people are welcome in the kingdom of God. Revelation teaches us that all nations will be represented in God, in, in heaven. Last church I pastored, we had multi-ethnicities in it. And I was so grateful that God did that for us, that God enabled us to have that multi-ethnicity. Folks, I, you want to have an experience? Uh, go worship at one of those African-American churches. I had the privilege of preaching at them. Whew! They'll tell you to preach for an hour, take up an offering, and then get back at it. Preach for two or three hours, they just kept taking up offerings until they had enough. I thought, my preaching must be that poor. i got to keep preaching to get enough. <laughs> They're exciting people. We had those, some of those exciting folks in my last church. It's wonderful. The lesson we learned today takes a sinful woman to teach us that life is best lived at the feet of Jesus. You want to have a revival in your church? It begins with repentant hearts. It begins with the question asked to each and every one of you. You need to ask yourself, how much do I love Jesus? How much have I experienced with him? What about my sin? Your sin, if you're cleansed in Christ, you're born again, your sins are washed away. But God doesn't allow you to forget. He doesn't condemn you for your past sins. But he says, remember where I brought you from? Remember what I brought you out of? Folks, if my sins were broadcast on that screen up there, I would be so embarrassed. I would be terrified. You knew some of the things that I did in my past. God has forgiven me. He has forgiven you. How much do you love him? It depends on how you look at your life because we are all sinners, every single one of us. We are all in need of redemption. We are all in need of his holiness coming to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, I have no righteousness of my own, only that which I have obtained through Jesus Christ. I don't have righteousness. Jesus has implanted his righteousness in me, that I should live by that righteousness, that I should, my daily life should be walked out in that righteousness. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But we strive for that perfection. We're being sanctified every day. And the sins that's in our lives, he constantly reminds us, that's not good. Wish you wouldn't do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit now by doing that. Let that go. Let me take over. Give me that sin. And what Jesus does when we give him our sins, he washes us from the stain of that sin and he casts that sin in the deepest ocean, as far deep as he can get it. And then he puts up a no fishing sign. It will never condemn you again. You understand what he's done for you. Give you eternal life. You're going to have an existence with him eternally, forever and ever. 
never ever to see even the opening of the gates of hell at a distance. Your last breath here as a believer in Christ is your first breath in the eternal heaven with Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And he did all of that because he shed his blood for you and me. He gave himself on that cross so we could have the quality of life that he desires for us. I'm not a rich man and never have been, never intend to be. Money wise. But I am the richest man on the face of the earth. I got a beautiful family. I got 11 grandkids that cost me a fortune every year in birthday money. But I'm so glad to do it. God has blessed us. Yes, we've had trials. We've had troubles. We have many things in our life that have caused us to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. But he's always brought us out. He's always been with us. Y'all remember the windstorm yesterday? The day before yesterday, was it? Pretty, the wind just howled through our place. And my neighbor's stuff was being thrown over against my house and crashing and banging and booming. And I thought, Lord, you're the one who created the wind, so now you've got to protect us in the wind. And he did. I never lost a shingle, never lost any siding. My house is in perfect shape. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he's always, in the storms, he's there. In the trials, he's there. But keep this statement in mind. Our faith, if not tested by trial, cannot be trusted in trouble. Your faith will be tested. The apostles had their faith tested and they endured those testings and through the trials that they went through, the troubles that they had, their faith always came forth. A faith that is never tested by doubts and trials can never be trusted in trouble. Mark it down, folks. Your faith will be tested and that's okay. But you stay at the feet of Jesus and you stay under the authority of who he is and what he's done for you. Revival will break out. People will come to see the love that you have for Christ and the power of that love been generated into the people around you and in the communities around you. And that love will permeate the soul of any human being who stops and takes a look at it. Where does that love come from? It comes from the Savior who gave his life for us. Folks, that's our story that we've been commissioned to tell. We are to stay at the feet of Jesus, pouring out our lives to him, surrendering everything to him, not worrying about the world around us. If you've read Revelation, I'm sure you have, you know how it's going to end up, okay? He returns and makes everything new. So stop thinking you're going to change the world to make it a perfect place. It ain't going to happen. But in the meantime, what are we to do? Win every soul to Christ that we possibly can. That's our commission. And it starts with a heart that truly loves Jesus. Amen? The more amens I hear, the quicker I get done. So I just, just okay. yeah, I hear that. The roast beef's are cooking, isn't it? How much do you love him? How much do you really love him? Are you willing to sacrifice for him? Are you willing to give up something for him? Are you willing to lay down your entire life to him and say, Lord, just use me however you want? And so they asked me to do the invitation. And so here's the invitation. Number one, if you do not have a personal, real, born-again relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can honestly say, I really don't follow him. See, I don't ask people if they're Christians anymore. 
I ask him, are you a follower of Jesus? You can hide under that disguise of Christian real easy. Oh, I belong to this church. I've been back. No. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, today you can become one by surrendering and repenting to him. And then the second part of that invitation, folks, I hope and pray you're asking yourself, do I really love him? And if you do, I want to challenge you. Just come to the altar and just pour it out to him. You don't need to talk to me if you don't want to. Just come to the altar and say, Lord, I love you. Like the woman who was a sinner, she on her knees and she's pouring out her tears, pouring out her perfume. She's worshiping him. Are we willing to courageously worship the Lord because of the love in our heart for what he has done for us? God help us to find that revival, to find that hope, and to find the peace that only God can give us. Let us stand together. Heavenly Father, as we're standing and preparing, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit just speak to the hearts and lives that are here. And any time, anyone, Father, just come to the altar, Lord, and help us, Father, to truly sense what it means to have revival in our lives by refreshing our spirits and understanding the power of the love that you have for us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving your all. You withheld nothing from us so we could come to you and have that peace and joy and eternal life that only you could give. Bless us now, Father, as we honor you with our presence in this place, Father, by our posture kneeling at the altar, by our hands being raised, by the love of our heart being expended, Father, throughout all this place. Holy Spirit, deal with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I believe the closing song is without him. That's right. We're going to sing wow. without him. What a perfect song to be singing. Without him, there's nothing left for you, folks. You want to come to the altar? If you'd like to speak with me, I'd love to pray with you. And just let God have his way in your heart. Amen.